Welcome to Haunted Hospitality, Southern Stories Told by Spooky Gingers. I'm Robin. And I'm Zoe. And I have a story for you today. But first, Zoe, how's life? Well, life is good. I actually had, I talked about like my financial, financial, financial troubles like two episodes ago. Mm-hmm. A uh, series of ups and downs, as you told it. Yes. And one of the ups slash downs, depending on how you look at it, was that I bought a new computer or a computer. As normal people say. Well, I got that new computer. It came in. I really can't call it a computer now. I always call it a computer now. I don't know why. I refuse to say that word. It's okay. Okay. You can not say that word if you want. But um, I really like it because Kari just got a new case for his computer and a couple other parts for it. My case is the white version of Kari's black case Mm -hmm. and I just think that's very poetic and I think it's funny (laughs) okay because I'm white and Kari's black I gotcha yeah (laughs) and he always rolls his eyes and shakes his head whenever I make that joke but I'm liking my new computer I actually actually yesterday I spent from 11 a.m. until 4 p.m playing For the King, which is a video game, with Kari and our friend Gelf. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yes. Yes. Twitter. Yes. I know her. I, you do. On Twitter. <laughs> Hi. Hello. <laughs> so, I was only really able to do that because I got the new computer. Mm-hmm. Because on my old computer, it crashed just trying to talk to Kari and play for the king for like two hours Mm -hmm. so it was very nice and i enjoyed it a lot i'm happy for you and your new computer thank you my new computer your new computer Uh (laughs) uh-huh how's your life robin it's good i'm starting a new book because i can't finish books i can only start them Uh uh-huh it's called cultish the language of fanaticism by amanda montel she's one of the co-hosts of a podcast i like called sounds like a cult okay which talks about the things that we accept as like everyday normal groups in our society that are actually pretty culty if you think about it. Yeah, I can think of a few off the top of my head, but I don't want to say them in oh, for fear. <laughs> right. But she, uh, so she's like she's a linguist, and so she's kind of going through the way that when you are in these very uh, insular communities, they do have very specific words they use, and so if you go into one of these communities and then you kind of talk to somebody outside of it they can kind of tell that you've been introduced to something new because it really does invade your language Mm -hmm. and so it's kind of talking about how language is key to creating these groups that maybe cults are dependent upon this different language anyway i'm just starting it but i'm i'm enjoying it so far i'm interested to hear what you learned because like i wonder if there's a difference between like well, you're entering this group of people, so you have to learn a new lexicon because you're talking about things you've never really spoken about before Mm -hmm. versus that language barrier that you were just describing where it's like it's kind of designed to keep others out. Not all of them are designed to keep others out because there are groups that are not necessarily like one of the parts of it is cult was not always a negative term it could always just mean like these insular groups because not all of these are toxic by nature but quite a few of them obviously are and so it's it's examining a whole gamut of it uh starting with jonestown and gonna go to i think she's going to end with like crossfit (laughs) it it, it spreads the gamut of how this can all happen and and i i wish i could 
uh, get more into it at the moment, but I am at the moment uneducated. But when I finish the book, I will be educated. You'll give us a whole dissertation on it. I'll be it. like, guys, he- here's, here's the things. whole episode. Here's the one <laughs> All right. Do you have a something something for us? I do have a something something for us. So, Robin. Yeah. Let's pretend that today is the day we are releasing this episode. Yeah. So we're releasing this episode on March 1st. The one we're recording right now? Yes. Okay. And today is not March 1st. But we're going to pretend briefly that today is March 1st. You mean we don't get up early in the morning and record episodes and then just publish them out? Yeah. Like no. This? No, we don't do that. I'm wow. sorry. It is February 20th. Shh. Okay. It is March 1st. <laughs> Today is March 1st, and so, Robin, mm-hmm. I must wish you a happy Mardi Gras. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I, I was really not sure where this was going. <laughs> oh, happy Mardi Gras to you, too. Yes, and I would like to go into the, a little bit of the history of Mardi Gras. I'm in. Awesome. And so, just for clarification, I'm going to focus mostly on New Orleans Mardi Gras, mm-hmm. because Mardi Gras is celebrated different ways in different cultures. <gasps> what? Really? What? I know. <laughs> So the first American Mardi Gras took place on March 3rd, 1699. That's early. That is. Pierre Le Moyne d'Iberville and Sieur de Bienville landed near New Orleans on this day, and they had a small celebration and named their landing spot Point du Mardi Gras. So, okay, question. Uh-huh. I know what Mardi Gras means to me, and that means the Fat Tuesday, and yes. it means it's the day before Lent begins. Yes. So that's what it is for them, too. Yes. Okay, I didn't know if you were saying there it's Mardi Gras in New Orleans because that was the day they landed in New Orleans. No, they okay. happened to land on, on Mardi, Mardi Gras. Gras. Okay, cool yeah. to know. Cool to know. So, actually, that was my next bullet point. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> You're fine. Mardi Gras means Fat Tuesday in mm-hmm. French, and it started... So... It started as part of Christianity, but basically the whole thing is that it's the day before Ash Wednesday, which is the first day of Lent, which I know I don't have to describe this to you, Robin, but I was actually info dumping on Kari and he's like, what the heck is Lent? Oh, really? So he had never heard of Lent, even though he grew up in a Christian household. Mm-hmm. And Not everybody practices. Yeah. So I'm like, is it a Catholic thing? I don't know. Because I always knew about it. I always knew about it. My family... Is not Catholic, though. We're not Catholic, but we do... I kind of view Lent as, like, an optional thing for us, okay. where I don't think it's quite so optional for Catholics. Gotcha. That's just my perspective. I might not know for sure. <laughs> well, Lent, traditionally, in ye old days, mm-hmm. Christians had a 40-day fast. So, like, they would not eat during the day and only eat when the sun goes down. But today... You can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I think they literally just pick something to give up for those 40 days, like coffee or soda, some sort of luxury item. Mm -hmm. Some people give up meat. I know that's one. I've given up soda in the past. Uh, There was one time I got 23 days into Lent uh, without realizing (laughs) drinking anything else other than water. Oh, wow. And a caramel ribbon crunch frappuccino (laughs) broke me. (laughs) But let me tell you, I have never felt so awake, energized as those 23 days. My skin was good. Everything was good. No, I have not done it since. (laughs) (laughs) Well, to prepare for this 40 days of fasting, and I think during those 40 days of fasting, the food that you did eat when you were able to eat was very, like plain you're only eating this for sustenance food Mm -hmm. and so on 
Mardi Gras, Fat Tuesday, you would eat all the fatty, luxurious foods that you had, and it was kind of like a celebration before the 40-day fast. Yeah. And so that's how Mardi Gras started, and it became a holiday. So when the two aforementioned men, who I'm not going to attempt to say their names again because my you. French accent I is okay, really didn't okay, realize but that not was great. two names. I just thought it was a really long one. <laughs> <laughs> so... They brought it to New Orleans, and they're like, oh, not only are we celebrating this because it's Fat Tuesday, but we're also going to celebrate this because this is the day we landed. And so it became more of a holiday, like a festival kind of thing. Mm, okay. And it was marked with street parties, masked balls, and lavish dinners. Mm-hmm. However, when Spain took over New Orleans, they abolished Mardi Gras because they're like, well, that's a French thing. So we don't want you doing French things now that we're in control. Yeah. So it wasn't until 1812 when Louisiana became a United State that people were allowed to celebrate it anymore. Again. A single United State. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so a few years later, Mardi Gras 1827, a group of students wore very colorful costumes and danced through the street of New Orleans after seeing what Mardi Gras looked like in Paris. So they started it in 1827, and then the next year it was like them and a few other people were doing the same thing. And then the next year it was those people and a few more people doing the same thing. And so it kind of grew until 10 years later, the first recorded Mardi Gras celebration took place. Okay. So that was in 1837. Then in 1857. So this is where I started learning things left and right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Do you do you know what crews are? K R E W E. No. So some of them are secret societies. Some they're like the way I was explaining it to Kari. It's like country clubs, but you don't have to be rich to be a part of them. Like it's a, I can't even imagine what that is. It's like literally like a club of people, of adults, that okay. just meet up. Like they're a club together. And so they're called crews. And I think they originally started off as like being the party of some lord or lady or whatever, you know? And they were uh, sponsored by some lord or lady or Russian king. We're, we're going far out right now. <laughs> I think that's how they... Got started, but there's some sort of... It's a czar. Russian Grand Duke, excuse me. Okay, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so they they were a society of people that gathered. And so there's the Mystic Crew of Comus. Mystic is spelt M-I-S-T-I-C-K. And I already spelled crew for you. And Comus is the Greek god of revelry. They are a secret society of businessmen. (laughs) <laughs> um, honestly, sounds like frat bo- bros who go to business school to me. But um, they organized a Mardi Gras parade with marching bands and rolling floats. And that was what it built into today, where it's the floats and all of that. Mm-hmm. So Louisiana is the only state in the United States of America where Mardi Gras is a recognized holiday. Though some other states and countries celebrate it in their own unique way. Some Louisiana celebrations are, well, some ways they celebrate are crews, like I mentioned. So these are groups who participate in the parade and host balls and dances. 
The oldest, or one of the oldest, is called the Crew of Rex. Rex being king. Mm -hmm. So, Crew of the King. They were established in 1872, and they have not missed a single parade since. Well, good for them. I know. And they are actually the people who established the traditional Mardi Gras colors of purple, green, and gold. Really? I just kind of assumed that was a French thing that carried over. Nope, because that started because they were the ones who started bead throwing, Mm -hmm. which is another tradition of Mardi Gras. But their float was decked out in the purple, green, and gold of the Russian Grand Duke Alexis, because that was his flag's colors. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. So they were, like, throwing out the beads, and people were like, okay, that's cool, we have beads. And these were glass beads. (laughs) Okay, that's cool, we have beads. (laughs) (laughs) Well, those were glass beads at the time. Now they're plastic, obviously. Yeah, I guess you could pack a wall up if you hit somebody wrong. Yeah, and it, I mean, it wasn't like they were, like, this big. They were just normal glass beads. But Mm -hmm. I feel like the plastic ones are cheaper. No, yeah, 100%. (laughs) You can throw those and it's fine. You don't have to be the party of a Grand Duke in order to do it. Right. They then assigned reasons to the colors, like a a trait to the colors. And so purple means justice, green means faith, and gold means power. And what they would do is throw the color bead to somebody who shows that trait. So if you seemed like you were a very faithful person, they would throw you the green beads. And it was supposed to be like a sign of, I have the green beads because I'm the most faithful. And it was, yeah. And then it also became a thing that if you caught a bead or a string of beads, you had good luck for the next year. All right. Yeah. So those are where the bead throwing came from. Zulu coconuts is the next way they celebrate. Okay. It used to be thrown into the crowd, but after... Coconuts. Coconuts. Okay. But after a few lawsuits, they're now passed (laughs) out. (laughs) But the Zulu Social Aid and Pleasure Club was the one who started this. So, you know how we've debated on this back and forth. People don't really like the term African-Americans anymore because they've never been to Africa. You can just call them black people. Like, it's, Mm -hmm. like, a thing. So, I'm going to use the term African-American here just because that is... It was, like, in all caps. And I know African-American usually is, but it was called an African-American society. Okay, so you're just, like, kind of staying true to the source material on this one. Right. Okay. Yeah. The Zulu crew is actually one of the oldest African-American crews. And they began tossing coconuts to crowd members in 1910. Mm -hmm. Originally, they were just normal brown coconuts. Like, they would just get a bunch of coconuts and throw them into the crowd. But... As years went on and our Mardi Gras became a little bit more flashy, yeah, they actually started painting and decorating them with glitter. Oh my God, I want a solid. I want. I want a glittery coconut thrown at my head, please. Yeah. Well, <laughs> apparently some people like got hurt by being decked with glittery coconuts. Lobbed gently toward me so I can <laughs> catch it with my amazing strength. So instead, they have their members walk along the float and like pass it out. Is it, like, special if you get one, or is it just everybody gets one now? Because I want to um, be special, I don't Zoe. think everybody gets one. I want, okay, good, because I want to be special. You can be Go get a coconut, Robin. Thank you. I, I don't know if there's anything like a year of good luck that comes with getting a coconut. Well, you get a coconut. You can actually eat it. <laughs> yeah, you do get a coconut. But, okay. 
So the next thing is flambeau. So these, I don't know if they are the torches. I know it's the French word for torch. So I don't know if in New Orleans, flambeau refers to the torches themselves or the torch carriers. Mm-hmm. But it seemed to be interchangeable. Okay. So traditionally, before streetlights, slaves or former slaves would carry torches soaked in pitch and lit them up on fire and would walk along the parade so people could see the parade mm-hmm. because again this was before streetlights oh, I, i've literally never thought of the fact that you can't see things mm-hmm. after dark yeah okay that was stupid Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so like that is still a thing like they're flambeau carriers oh also it was considered an honor to be picked as a flambeau carrier Mm -hmm. because the crowd would like toss coins at you this is great everybody's tossing things (laughs) yeah and now that's again evolved to become a little bit more flashy so the torch carriers which are now lit with kerosene and a little bit safer and things like that um you mean you're not carrying hot tar around yeah, no, I nah, that has not been approved by OSHA, unfortunately. Ah, shoot. <laughs> but now they will dress in robes and mm. do, like, dances with the torches. I love this. And still get coins tossed at them. <laughs> this is fantastic. It is. I just, I love how it was already flashy to begin with. Mm-hmm. And we're like, how can we get bigger? Oh, yeah. Dancing Dancing fire. Yes. Dancing fire and glitter. Yeah. I love it. And then the last one that also has been partially ruined because of lawsuits is king cake. I'm sure you're aware of king cake. Yeah, you you cut into it. (laughs) So the thing is, so my elementary school, my first elementary school that I went to Mm -hmm. was an elementary school that taught the kindergartners French. Like, it was, yeah, it was weird. Like, literally, I went to French class every single day when I was in kindergarten, second, and third grade. Was this a public school? Yes. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Which it's like, if we're in the South, please teach me Spanish. Yeah, um, you're <laughs> going to use that more. than I, That was one thing I got so confused. And then in public school, we talked about this last time, but they taught, like, Spanish that they speak in, in Spain, Spain versus what is, speak, like, Latin America. Yeah. And I'm like, can you... That's not helpful to me. No. <laughs> <laughs> it actually started as literally just a dough ring, and it became flashier with... Now you can easily buy cake in the traditional purple, gold, and green colors nice and it started as a porcelain or gold baby depending on how bougie you are and now it's a plastic baby but in my elementary school i actually got the baby once (gasps) you got the baby i got the baby because on mardi gras in my elementary school they would make the king cake and i got the baby and i got this like little crown that i got to wear for the rest of the day oh yay yeah so you were king for the rest of the day yeah, I guess so. I don't really recall it because I was in kindergarten, but... You mean you don't... That's I know. so disappointing, Zoe. <laughs> <laughs> but if the host was supposed to bake the cake or have the cake made for them, and <laughs> the, the baby would be baked into the cake. That's why it started off as porcelain or gold, because when it was baking, it wouldn't... First of all, gold's food safe, and porcelain was what you would make your food in anyways, so it wouldn't really like ruin the cake Mm -hmm. but now that it's plastic you put the baby in after you bake the cake that's less fun give me a gold baby or give me nothing exactly (laughs) but if you got the baby 
Which was supposed to be Baby Jesus, by the way. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to say that. Yeah, that's supposed to be Baby Jesus. <laughs> you had to buy the next cake or host the next party. Mm. So in the first grade, what did you do? Kindergarten, first of all. Oh, you mean the but next year? The next year. year? No, nothing. You didn't make a cake? I did not you make a cake. You didn't put a baby in the cake? I didn't put a baby in the cake. <sighs> I know. They chose wrong. They did. Bakers? Yeah, bakers aren't allowed to put the plastic baby in the cake before they sell it because there was a lawsuit where somebody choked on the plastic baby. What do you... Baby? Eat small bites and look for the baby. What do you... Yeah. So now what they do is they sell you... I hope that person was okay. I think they were. Okay, good. Look for... you're, You're eating, looking for the baby. You are knowing that you might bite into something hard. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing fun can happen anymore. So now what they do is sell the cake and then they sell a little plastic baby on the side that you can put in on your own. Okay, but I'm sorry if I... You're, the slice, it's going to be obvious where the baby is because I'm not good at these things. I would, the cake would crumple. So you, then you try to put on icing over it and it just becomes very clear who has the baby. Yes. Yes. Okay. I'm sorry, Robin. Yeah, I'm, I'm severely disappointed. Y- yeah. But yeah, that is Mardi Gras. So happy Mardi Gras, everyone. Happy Mardi Gras. Woo. Thank you for sharing, Zoe. You're welcome. All right, Robin, before we get into your story, though, I do have one more thing. I'm sorry to have hogged this much, but I do want to say one more thing. My father has actually sent us a gift to open up on the podcast. Thank you. So I don't know what this is. Mm -hmm. You don't know what this is. And this package is unopened in front of me. Please testify that it is unopened. I don't know what she's talking about. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) It's not opened. So I'm going to open it. I'm going to try to open it. We really should have gotten scissors. Ah, I have opened it. It it is a book. Okay. It says, The Little Book of Curses and Medications for Everyday Use by Dawn Ray Downton. Um, Maledictions, not medications. Curses and medications don't go together. I totally read it as medication. I think this is how to kill somebody. <laughs> All right. Look. So, yeah, the curses. It's red. It's red and it has a skull and skeleton on it. Curses, generic revenge curses. Ooh. It has some history about curses then and now. I think we're getting a million something spookies. I think we're getting a million something spookies. Thank you. Yeah. Also, if I went into a stranger's house and they had that book, I would immediately leave. Because I'd be like, they're about to kill me. Yeah. (laughs) Generic revenge curses. So many betrayals. So little time. So many. (laughs) (laughs) If you just need to get somebody real quick. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's so cute. I love it. Hex your ex off. I need to do this one. (laughs) Okay, arrive at dusk. Oh no, I'm not gonna like stalk them. Yeah, <laughs> arrive no. at dusk to their house. <laughs> oh no, it's arrive at dusk to a river. You That's can do that. A... You can stalk can, a river. I can stalk a river. Yeah. I know somebody who lives next to a river. That's great. You yeah. can stalk that person and then therefore stalk the river. Yeah. Well, thank you, Father. Thank you very much for this gift to the pod. Yeah. Can I'll I borrow have... it sometime to do something spooky from it? Of course, cool. it will be here. There's a lot of information at the beginning of it. So these are the curses, and mm-hmm. this is the information. I got gotcha. you. 
All right. So what's that word again? Maledictions? Yes. I okay. So. I might be pronouncing that incorrectly. But I mean, it's definitely better than saying medications. That is true. <laughs> maledictions, bad speaking. So, you know. Ooh. Oh, that makes sense with curses. Yeah. All right. Well, Robin, you have a story for us? I do. It's a haunting. Ooh. Yes. So, Zoe. Yes. This takes place in Georgia. Ooh. Yes. I'd say, like, southern Georgia, maybe middle-ish southern Georgia. It's a small town. And by small, I mean in the hundreds currently. And then. Wow. And throughout its history, I believe, called Surrency, Georgia. Surrency. Okay. Yes. This story begins with a man called A.P. Surrency. Okay. He moves to this area. And he founds a town. Spoiler alert. (laughs) He moves to this area in the 1850s along with his wife, whose name is Wealthia. And... Is she wealthy? Actually, I saw a lot of websites refer to her as wealthy, but on her gravestone, it does say Wealthia. So I went by Wealthia, but you will be like... Robin, every other website says wealthy. Well, girl, I saw <laughs> I saw the gravestone on findagrave.com. I know what I'm talking about. Okay. They move to the area. He operates a sawmill. He opens a general store. He ends up representing Appling County, which is the county Surrency is in, to the General Assembly. So he is a well-off gentleman. They end up moving to a farm that goes well for them near the Altamaha River Swamp. The Altamaha? The Altamaha. Okay, sorry. One day I do want to cover the Altamaha. Yeah, that is, is, that is bookmarked. <laughs> it is bookmarked. I claim it. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. You got Mothman, or you will in the future get Mothman. True. So I get the Altamaha. Altamaha. While they live here, he fights in the Civil War because, of course, he does. Okay. Um, On the, the southern Confed- side. Of course yeah. he does. So, because he lives in the south. Just, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> they end up having... Four sons, Millard, Samuel, Robert, and George, who is not born by the time this story starts, but I didn't want to leave George out. Poor George. I know. And they have three daughters, Sarah, Clementine, and Lula. Aww. And Lula is the youngest. She's born Lula. in 1869. That's like a borderline name, where it's like borderline pretty, borderline why did you name your child that? Like, is this pretty or stupid? Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of names like that lately. There are some that I've been, like, hooked on that I thought was just the prettiest name in the world, and now I think is kind of stupid. I'm going to put out one, and I'm sorry to all the Hadleys out there, but I really loved that name for a very long time. And now I think that it's it's just, like, generic. (laughs) Like, there's... You don't need that name. I'm sorry. (laughs) That's fine. Anywho. Yes. Like I said, this is a haunting. Not a baby name conversation. Not a baby name conversation. And if you Google the Surrence haunting, which took me a very long time to find that this existed, because with how prevalent this haunting was, you'd think it would have come up on my Google, but it didn't before this point. Okay. But if you Google it, you'll see tales of this family looking out into the darkness around their property and seeing glowing red eyes, multiple, looking at them from the woods. Oh. You will hear tales of Clementine being pulled from her bed by ghosts, her hair pulled, they're taking her blankets. You'll hear of a fire poker just walloping one of the little boys in the head as they decide to leave the house. Oh my god. These things I haven't found to be true. Oh, okay. (laughs) These are really things that have been, I believe, from my own personal research, 
added to the story over time through word of mouth and, let's be honest, word of the internet, which is its own insane beast. Yeah. Now, like I've always said, it's a lot easier when you're looking back at things that happened. By the way, this is 1872 I'm talking about. When you're looking back at things that have happened in the past, it is a lot easier to prove something did happen than something didn't. Mm -hmm. However, I going through all the sources I think people could have possibly found on this, and I'm just not finding the red eyes. I'm not finding the dinner always winding up in the laps. I am not finding the being yanked out of bed. But... Zoe, I argue okay. that as spooky and terrifying as those things are, they are generically spooky and terrifying. And listen, I always love a good glowing red eye. I always love it. Though a series of them in the woods surrounding you, I that's was very disappointed. terrifying. I was very disappointed to not find anything like that. But, <laughs> okay, girl levitating from her bed. Yes, that's a classic. Fire poker just hitting a boy. That's, that's terrible. <laughs> that is terrible. My point is saying that these things, I think, are what we... Maybe it's because like horror movies have kind of taught us that this is how things go. They're mm-hmm. going to pull you from your bed at some point. But I argue that is like the generically scary of it. And the haunting that seems to have occurred is actually quite more interesting and not like other stories. Okay. All right. So, I did find one newspaper that said that the house had been, like, mildly haunted for 20 years. Okay. So, keep in mind, maybe things go a little bit bump in the night. One in, like, every 10 people, that is a stat I am randomly coming up with, think that they live in a haunted space. Again, a stat I am randomly coming up with. So, I'm saying that, like, Nothing major is going on right now Mm -hmm. until Thursday, October the 10th, 1872. Ooh, a specific date. Yeah, well, they called out a few specific dates. I'm kind of confused on what happened on one weekend versus another weekend, but I'm just going to tell you everything that happened, okay? Okay. Got it. AP Surrency comes home. I'm going to call him AP. His name is Alan Powell. Okay. AP Surrency comes home, I'm assuming from work, whatever he's doing. Things start falling. And by things, I mean... Sticks, glass, pieces of brick. Ooh. And they are falling in a weird way. I'm going to get into this more in a bit. Okay. But it's like, it's not saying that this glass is on this table and something is just knocking it off the table and it's falling to the floor. It's saying that you look at the table, there's a glass, and suddenly the glass is breaking on the floor. There's conjecture about what things are actually moving when they move and how they get to the floor where they break. Hmm. But nevertheless, they are always getting to the floor where they break. This goes on a little bit at a time in the house, and it's happening in several different spots in the house, too. And so, this is confusing. Mm-hmm. What do you do when you're confused? You get your neighbors. You call a priest. You get your neighbors. Actually, <laughs> there is a minister in here, and there's a funny quote about that minister, and I will <laughs> read that in the future, but not yet. You get your neighbors. So, Neighbors come over, you're looking through the house, you're really trying to find, okay, there has to be an explanation for this. You're not finding it. More people come. The trains are new. Train got brought in in 1870. There wasn't a train here before that. Word spreads because people gossiped like maniacs in the 1800s because there was nothing else to do. True. And so just know that everybody is going around. And when you have trains and you have gossip, the gossip gets to the newspapers. And so all the newspapers were writing 
all about this. Okay. And I will read an account from the Daily Kennebec Journal. This is October 30th, 1872, so 20 days after the haunting started. Ahem. <laughs> Mr. Surrency's house is a two-story frame house, plastered and weatherboarded. Mr. Surrency, on returning home Thursday the 10th, Mm-hmm. was astonished to observe the glass goblets begin to tumble off the slab and the crockery to roil from the table and falling on the floor break into atoms. Books, brickbats, pieces of wood, smoothing irons, biscuits, potatoes, tin pans, buckets, pitchers, and numerous other articles flew about the house promiscuously <laughs> without any visible cause. Oh, look at me. I'm falling. <laughs> they seemed to spring up involuntarily and often were never seen to move until they were shattered at the feet or against the wall. See what I mean? Mm-hmm. On Sunday morning, the strange phenomenons were renewed. The first demonstration occurred around 8 o'clock when a pair of scissors, which had been lying on a distant table, were observed to descend on the hearth. A brick, which had been lying near the fire in one room, was seen to fall in another apartment of the house, producing a loud noise. Wait, why did they have just bricks laying around their house? I don't know. And there (laughs) were, it's like every article was like a brick bat, brick bat, brick bat. Have I explained to you what a brick bat is yet? No. Oh, it's like a part of a brick. Brick bat, brick bat, brick bat. And I'm like, is this house falling apart? Are they building something? I don't know. All I know is they're around, apparently. Why? Okay. Oh, that should really be the drinking game for this episode. Brick? The word brick? Brick bat. Bat. Brick bat. Don't do that. Where was I? Okay, a brick, which had been lying near the fire in one room, was seen to fall in another apartment of the house, producing a loud noise. Pieces of crockery were shattered against the doors, but no one saw them move until they were broken pieces by the sudden percussion against the door. Late in the afternoon, while the inmates of the house were at their supper, a noise was heard in an adjoining room. A gentleman was promptly at the door. I read this as, like, a gentleman in the house was at the door to guard the door. Not as in, and then somebody was at the door! (laughs) Okay? So that's where we are. And it was impossible for anyone to escape without being observed. Presently, a book fell in the passage, which only a few moments previous was certainly seen in the bookcase. The book not the passage. (laughs) (laughs) On Monday, the manifestations were again renewed in a more wonderful and frightful manner. While a company of ladies and gentlemen were seated in one of the rooms of the house, a hog suddenly appeared in the middle of the floor and without the slightest manifestation of fear, executed a few maneuvers and evolutions when it quickly retreated to an adjoining room where, in full view of the company, It suddenly vanished like a ghostly apparition. Uh Uh-huh. An old sea captain. (laughs) (laughs) You can see why I read this one out loud. Oh, my gosh. Just one thing after another. An old sea captain who had been an eyewitness to the phenomena and strange demonstrations incident to a sailor's life and several voyages around the world came to the place determined to solve the mystery. He watched with fixed attention for some time a smoothing iron which, heretofore, by its supernatural exploits, seemed to be the ringmaster of the game. 
Becoming exhausted and thirsty, he longed for a bottle of the, quote, crather liquor, which he understood was in the other room, when instantaneously the bottle fell on the floor at his side. He partook of the liquor, replaced the bottle, and resumed his watch, but the <laughs> bottle disappeared as mysteriously as it came. Mr. Serency is represented as a man of intelligence, and during the time of these strange manifestations, he has never been able to offer an explanation of them. Despairing of any relief from such weird demonstrations, he is determined to abandon the place. It is confidently believed that the human agency, which directs these phenomena, it is supposed, will soon appear. So let's unpack that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot for, happened. So first of all, you know how like usually when we read like the flowery language of past journalism, <laughs> yeah. usually we're like, oh, why don't they write like that anymore? <laughs> now I get it. Now I get it. Like they were trying to be so flowery that it was hard to understand what they were trying to say. I, the, the whole moving promiscuously and then I, the, the pig completing a few maneuvers and evolutions and I'm like, you just mean he walked around the room? He walked around the room. The pig walked around the room. The pig wasn't there and then the pig was there and then the pig walked around the room went to another room, which okay, I actually did learn in a later article. One later article didn't say that the pig appeared. It said the pig walked in. Oh. It said, okay, a whole group of people were actually there because of the whole hauntings. And the visitation visitor guest policy of the time is if people come to your house... You, you let, let them, them in. in. Unfortunately, because the railroad came in in the 1870s, I think that they hadn't quite updated the visitation policy as fast as the people coming in. Because, I mean, who's going to visit your house other than a few neighbors in your family in those times when you live in such a small town that you are literally founding right. because nothing was there ahead of time? But now you have the train and it's a new stop. And so everybody's just coming to your house constantly. So it was a group of like, I read it as randos <laughs> in the living room. And the, the article I read later, which I'm assuming is correct, is the pig walked in. Every, it was said, and everybody shut up and looked at the pig. <laughs> and so everybody shut up and looking at the pig, walked around a bit. Pig walked into another room. Everybody quietly gets up, follows the pig to the other room. And then the pig disappears in the middle of the room. Gotcha. And I love, because it says, and the pig vanished in the middle of the room. And everybody noted that the windows were sealed shut. So it could not have escaped from the windows. And I'm like, I'm sorry, do you think you blinked and the pig <laughs> flew out of a window? Well, when no. pigs fly. When pigs fly. Well, you know what we learned in the last episode was that, like, Jesus casted devils into pigs or something oh, like man, that. Oh, man, I meant to do a little bit more research into that for this. But, yeah, they are, I think, associated with demons. Yeah, I knew goats were, because goats are the child of the devil. But mm. it's like sheep are to Jesus as goats are to the devil. I'm kind of confused by that wording from you. But, okay. Also, I hate goats. Oh, there's so much I'm learning right now. I love goats. You um, know I'm terrified of goats. I'm sorry. I don't know that you're terrified of goats. I think you've tweeted that I'm terrified I of goats. I tweeted on that you're Garrett. Haunted Hospitality. You remember? Like, you were like, hey, what's your biggest fear? I'm like, goats and men. Oh. <laughs> well, you heard it here a second, guys. Apparently it was on Twitter first. <laughs> tweeted by me, who I can I control the Twitter. Yes. Okay. Where was I? Okay, so the pig. Yeah, pig. Demon. Yes. That's an option. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> and the slutty I, potatoes. Don't forget about those. The slutty potatoes. 
when I the, the the list just kept going on yeah and on and on and when you're reading it like and you're reading it to take notes like I was trying to do originally before I was like I just have to read this sucker out loud <laughs> you know you're just taking avid notes like oh and the potatoes but when I'm reading it out loud I'm like this is so many things why did they just why didn't they just write a whole bunch of crap was just falling everywhere because they had to be poetic they had to be poetic but to be honest I don't know if they predicted that people would be talking about this 150 years into the future, but as a person who is talking about this 150 years into the future, I actually do appreciate their attention to detail, including the promiscuity of Of the potatoes. potatoes. I do have to clarify one thing, though. (laughs) The crocker. The crockery. Yeah, the crockery. Is that plate? Okay, I was thinking, like, casserole dishes. I mean, it could technically be, but it's like... Your dishes, your plates, your cups, the things on which you eat. Okay. That is the crockery. I did Google. See, I heard crock pot. You know. <laughs> crock pot. Their, um, what, their air fryer was just going bananas. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Now, I did put things in bullets that we need to unpack. Okay. So, yes. not to take away from the freewheeling reactions, <laughs> I just wanted to talk about okay, the break from Thursday to Sunday. So, it started Thursday afternoon. I think it continued Friday, it continued like a little bit on Saturday. But then on Sunday, that's when the scissors happened, mm-hmm. which that is aggressive to me. Yes, because it's a blade. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> And that's when it became bricks, because I don't think... Okay. No, wait, bricks were dropping on Thursday. I don't know what I'm talking about. What I was trying to say in my through line is that it seemed like things were getting more aggressive by Sunday. Okay. And that means get out. Yes. And the scissors make me think, like, okay, if this is haunted, which let's just unpack that all at the end. Oh, okay. Okay. When you throw the scissors, you need to go. Yeah. And... Luckily, there's no child being beaten over the head with the iron yeah, poker. Yeah, no. Fire poker, not. whatever. Fire poker, yeah. There's not. And, you, you know, it's really that thing and the whole Clementine being lifted from her bed, which they erroneously say that Clementine was the youngest. She was not. Lula was. Lula. Clementine was, like, 16, guys. <gasps> oh, wow. They were older. They were, like... They had, you know, they'd been having kids for a while by this point. Gotcha. He was, like, about almost 50. Okay. So, like, they had a whole gamut of generations. Yeah. I do appreciate that when they were all at dinner, like, I think that first night or second night or something, and something, like, fell or another noise was made elsewhere in the house, they did, like, kind of cover their bases, put somebody at the door, and make sure, like, it's not a random person who's in your house who shouldn't be in your house. Right. Which you could argue that all the visitors were random people that shouldn't be in their house. At least I would see it like that. I'm like, I'm sorry, get out. But I'm just saying, PSA guys, if you think your place is haunted because it seems like there's another person there, just check first to make sure there's not another person there. Because that's my biggest fear. Yeah. That there's another person there. Yeah. Oh, just an ongoing. There's an episode of Radio Rental that just blew my mind because this woman is recounting that when she was a girl, there was like secretly somebody else living in their house for a long time and they didn't realize it. <laughs> That's like one of my worst nightmares. Right. Oh, okay. Anyway, so can, I'm sorry, can you clarify one more thing yeah, for me? Yeah, what about the person appearing in the middle of the room? Mm, it's a pig. Remember the pig? No, 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 no. There was a person you said that. No, they suddenly appeared at the door. Yeah, okay, okay. So 
I think that that was just the flowery language of it. I am, like, pretty sure that it is actually, like, a person who is probably at the table. You hear something in the house, and then that person goes to the door to block the door so that when you're going to investigate that thing, you know that somebody's not randomly leaving. So that way you're kind of covering your bases. Okay. So you tried to clarify in the middle there. I was like, wait, wait, what? I think I must have just clarified wrong. So I was reading that and I was like, wait, are they saying that a sound happened and then somebody's at the door? Because that's kind of horror movie-ish. I was thinking like... I think that person was in the house. Okay. I was thinking like somebody appeared in the kitchen doorway and it was like the devil himself, an apparition or something. That No apparitions occur within this haunting. Okay, cool, cool. Mm -hmm. I really love the bit about the old sea captain. Yeah. I love that he was really intent on watching the smoothing iron. And then drink the alcohol that magically appeared next to him. Yes. And, like, so he must have, because I'm sure this was recounted from him, he must have been aware of the whole disappearing and reappearing bottle that he drank from. Yeah. But I love that he put the bottle down after he had reappeared, because he's looking there for spooky things, and he's just watching the iron still, because he's <coughs> he's sure that the iron is in charge of all this. <laughs> just a shout out to the old sea captain. Yes. Um, and the other thing I wanted to mention is that the article did say it is believed that soon the human agency, which is, or- which is orchestrating this, will be revealed. And I was like, what the heck is human agency? And then I was like, oh, duh. The, as- the assumption is, like, some person is doing this and that right. this is all an elaborate prank prank ho- hoax at hoax. this level. Yeah. <clears throat> which <sighs> we will get more into that okay. at toward the end, honestly. Now, that article, as illustrious and flowery as it was, does not encompass everything that happened there. Okay. So I kind of wanted to go in on some of the other things I found in other articles just to fill in all the gaps before we get down to business. And by business, I mean at the very end being like, Zoe, do you think this is haunted? (laughs) (laughs) One thing I want to specify, again, it started, I think, with sticks. Okay. They're in the front room. Okay. And then sticks start falling to the floor. Out of nowhere. Like, there were no sticks prior. There were no sticks prior. Okay. And then the door was shut, the windows were shut, and now they're just suddenly sticks. And then all the other things start doing, like the brick bats. Drink. (laughs) (laughs) Again. It specified that things were falling vertically. And I know I sound stupid when I say that because, of course, things fall vertically. (laughs) But it was really saying, like, okay, because King's Tavern. Okay, we're going to King's Tavern real quick. Okay. Things were on a shelf. They would fly off the shelf and eventually hit a floor, okay? But they were originally going, like... Yeah, it's in the trajectory. Okay. But with this, again, it is on the table, and then it is on the floor, and it's broken. Mm -hmm. And the fact that people didn't quite see... That... the, The movement of it. Right. Now, there was one thing they did see the movement of, which was, like, a pan full of water and some books. They did say, okay, we actually did see that, like, pushed off a table or something. So we have we have a couple, Zoe. The laws of physics are not completely broken at this point. Okay. This is really funny. This is when the sticks stopped and the brick patch started, which they were, like, not constantly, but it would stop and start all night. And they, by the way, nothing hit anyone. Brick bats almost hit a woman and her baby, but they didn't. And then a piece of corn almost hit somebody, but they didn't. The corn comes later. Okay. Here's a quote from the Yorkville Inquirer about the minister. It was just such a funny quote. Okay. (laughs) Mr. Cerency, his wife, 
two grown daughters, Mr. Roberts, a clerk and a Baptist minister by the name of Blitch, were present, and with the exception of the minister, who got upon his horse and left, they all remained awake the whole night. This is when the brickbats were happening. So it's just, I, I just love that line because it's like, the minister was name was Blitch and then he left. <laughs> Sounds like a little Blitch to me. Ha <laughs> <laughs> LOL. <laughs> okay, after the bricks, there were bottles, there were other glassware falling and breaking on the floor, and there were four bottles of kerosene in the house. Oh, no. And, you know, kerosene is flammable. Yeah. And so AP was, like, asking his, well, telling, I'm sure, his servant to go and just put them outside of the house. <laughs> yeah, makes so, sense. But I, not near the woods or the grass. Just put them outside of the house because, like, whatever's happening is happening in here. So the servant went and did that. So the bottles are out of the house, and then all of a sudden, the bottle of kerosene is broken open in the middle of the floor, and kerosene is everywhere. <gasps> yeah. It does not catch fire. Oh, good. But it is everywhere. And we're it's like, like a, I could have if I wanted to kind of situation. I guess so, because it was like, you think of the kerosene, and you're like, take out the kerosene, and then all of a sudden, like the you kerosene. You can't stop me. I can end your life at any moment. Like, who? I know. And it's just all the whole, like, these objects are disappearing and reappearing. That doesn't quite happen a lot. No. No, I, I would argue that doesn't happen a lot. No, I mean, in hauntings, Zoe, <laughs> in hauntings. So there was a locked dresser drawer that had clothespins that okay. I'm sure were very important clothespins for it to be locked. Uh-huh. Is so everybody knew that the clothespins were in there and there then all of Tiffany a sudden, and Co. silver clothespins. Yeah, there were diamonds. Yeah. Diamond clothespins. And, you know, they're in the locked drawer and suddenly, of course, they're falling in the middle of the floor in a different room. Okay. So, movement around again. Um, apparently, according to the Yorkville Inquirer, clothes and chairs and shoes were, quote, tumbling about the house as if by the hand of a veritable witch or unseen devil was present. End quote. Ooh. Ooh, spooky. A journalist came by from, I believe, the Megan Telegraph, and he was there to witness. He was there to write down. He was there to record. And so he's talking to AP in the front room, and AP is like, oh, and the old family clock sometimes goes nuts. Okay. So AP went up to the old family clock, and as he went up to it, saying how it went nuts, it started moving very fast, Ooh. the hands of the clock. It would do five times around the clock in a minute, or it would do five hours in a minute. It, it, it was doing five hours in a minute. It was going way too fast for a clock. Okay. So the reporter's like, what? I'm going to go up to the clock. The reporter goes up to the clock, looks at it. Indeed, it is going very fast. He checks his pocket watch. His pocket watch is going normally. Okay. Weird. He backs away. The clock goes back to normal. Huh. Weird. Also, apparently the scissors event happened in front of him at approximately 11.47 a.m. Because, again, we're all looking at clocks right now. I know in the other article it said 8 a.m. Maybe there were two scissor events. I have to say I assume that the 11.47 a.m. one is a bit more accurate. Uh-huh. And then right after the scissor thing happens, a brick bat falls down right in front of the reporter. And it breaks in two. He picks up one of the pieces... It's hot to the touch. Ooh. Ooh. And he's like, this broke in two on the floor. I'm going to see if I can throw it down and it break in two again. So he does it. It does not break in two from his force. And he's like, okay. He puts it on the windowsill. It falls to the floor at his feet again. 
weird. Uh Uh-huh. Does it break in two? (laughs) No, I don't think it's like an (laughs) ever-going thing. The smoothing iron at noon also fell from the fireplace, and it was hot, but the reporter did figure it could be from the fire. Oh, true. Yeah. So they had dinner that day, and an ear of corn fell between Mrs. Cerency and a visitor from Macon, because, again, they had a whole bunch of visitors, and when you have visitors, you feed them. Mm-hmm. I would just get so annoyed in this situation. <laughs> and it fell so hard that it did break in two, and another ear of corn fell in another room later and almost hit a woman and her baby, <clears throat> just so you know. <laughs> but, again, nobody actually got hurt, which is great. So at one point, all of the visitors and the reporter and everybody were in the front room, and a huge glass object appeared in the center of the room, shattered. Oh, so, again, these things just keep happening. And the article I read spares a line for the poor cook, who was in the kitchen where butcher knives, skillets, and other sharp objects were constantly falling to the ground. And I feel really bad about the butcher knives in particular, because if you think that's just going to fly oh, anywhere, yeah. it could kill you. Yeah. It didn't, though. And, by the way, there were little piles of sugar around the house. Just little piles. And one of them had, like, little pins in it. Oh. I know. And were these piles of sugar something that they did, or they just started appearing? I assume they started appearing, because that would be okay. a weird thing for the family to do. Well, I don't. I didn't know if it was like some somebody told them, hey, you want to ward off evil spirits? Put sugar piles everywhere. I don't get the sense that this was the okay. family doing this. Now, as you can imagine, the family started to get really annoyed with everybody coming. It ended up being, newspapers estimate a total of 500 people by like the end of the month had come through and visited a lot of them eating at the table and they'd be like oh hey mr ap we can you know compensate you some for the meals we're eating but he was like no i'm not doing that because i i figure like that might be yeah i mean that would be kind of a weird thing to do today too yeah if it was like i can guess that some southern pride is on the line where it's like if i can't feed my guests then i'm a failure it's just you don't normally have 500 guests yeah family was getting very Tired of the whole thing, and I'm sure it had to do a lot with the haunting, but it almost seemed like they were more annoyed by the visitors. Uh-huh. So they ended up leaving the house. I found on, like, articles, like, blog posts written today. It's like, and it burned down in 1925. I haven't been able to find that personally, but perhaps it did burn down in 1925. They seem to have stayed in Serency, but they moved to a different place. Alan ended up dying just, like, five years later. And that's one of the sons? No, that was AP. Oh, Sorry. okay. AP died five years later. His wife ended up living till 1899, so good for her for living a while. And in a January 13th, 1873, so this is a few months after the haunting started, article, the Charleston Daily News published just a one-line headline about it. There okay. were no other details. There was nothing else. It just said, there are no more ghosts at Surrency. <laughs> you know, that kind of makes me feel like, like, they published, like, they asked the newspaper to publish that, so guests stopped coming. It could totally have been that. <laughs> um, I mean, at one point, I don't know if I mentioned this, but AP really did write a letter to the Savannah Morning News about the hauntings. I'm just kind of of the mind that maybe he knew a lot of gossip was going around about it, and maybe he was like, okay, here's just my experience with it, and maybe didn't quite expect how much it would take off. Right, yeah. Shoot, shouldn't have done that. I have since found two people who are, like, descendants of, like, family of the Surrencies who have kind of talked about the ways the story was passed down. So one of them is on a blog called Christie's Chronicles, and she is apparently his great-great-great-granddaughter. Okay. And she talks about how, like, kind of going through newspaper clippings of the time. This was when I was just first starting research, so this was really helpful 
kind of telling me like the frame of mind to go into the before articles and the now articles about it because she remarked like the things that she had of her own grandfather's clippings that were like AP's clippings of the time or something. It was it was all like property destruction. Nobody was actually getting hit or anything versus gotcha. the stories today are all like the children are constantly being hurt and that just wasn't happening or at least it wasn't reported at the time and likely didn't happen. Gotcha. And then I found an account by his great, great, great niece, Phyllis R. Holland, who wrote the family storyteller Tales of the Georgia Coastal Plain and she talks about some of the stories that have been passed down, one of which is that meat was apparently jumping out of the frying pan while the cook was cooking. Uh-huh. At least according to the, the family stories about it. And there's a lot, if you look up, you know, articles now that'll say, every time they tried to eat, the food just ended up in their laps. <laughs> and apparently the way that it was interpreted down in her family is that disembodied gloved hands would grab a person's bowl of soup and throw the bowl of soup in their face. Oh, my God. I know, and I just, I laugh so hard thinking about just just visualizing that. (laughs) And I I, I love that that was specifically, it was gloved hands, just, nope, no soup for you. (laughs) I feel like I would be, like, I would feel, I feel like I would feel like I was in a cartoon movie if that happened to me. Oh, like, when she said disembodied glove hands, I think I'm picturing, like, Mickey Mouse hands. Yeah. Just doing that. Just, like, it, it's so... you! <laughs> <laughs> it's so cartoonish. She was talking about members of the family who were young girls, and this was, like, I think a generation or two after everything went down. The Cernsey house is still there. People still live in the area. But it is abandoned by this point. So these group of girls after school who were descendants of the family go in part of it the whole thing was that okay things were apparently going missing like valuable objects were going missing at that time from the family and the idea is the ghost stole family treasure Mm. and so these girls after school went into the crawl space under the abandoned house and started digging for the treasure okay and then above them they heard scrapes (gasps) and like thumps oh no and then they got out me too (laughs) that would terrify the crap out of me oh my god so yeah i don't know what was there's a million things i could call scrapes and bumps but the house was supposedly abandoned wow it's not like there would be things there for mice to eat at that point yeah the thing i can think of is like maybe some squatters or something i mean maybe like Again, only a few hundred people live in this area. Yeah. It's incredibly rural. I don't know if there would be many squatters there. Yeah. Weird. I know, but I, I just, when I read that, I was like, oh, what? Because, like, yeah. the whole thing is, like, the hauntings just stopped. Because right. nobody was at the house anymore, I assume. Now, was this a hoax? That would There's, be really hard to pull off. I think so, too. There is one thing, a big thing. Uh That is in favor of hoax, though. Okay. I'm going to tell you what it is, and then we'll talk about it. In 1875, a woman whose name was Mrs. Russell Johnson. Okay. Because no woman got their first name in a newspaper. She was living in Bartow, Georgia, which is now about a 95-mile drive north of Surrency. She had a very similar haunting begin to happen. Brickbats were falling plaques coming down in the same way it's like you don't really see it and then all of a sudden it's just shattered on the floor and you hear the sound her son-in-law john a mcmillan was like this is a lot like the surrency haunting because again it was very well known and famous and it was just a couple years afterward 
And he remembered <laughs> that one of the servants they had was apparently formerly working for the Surrencies in the house at the time of the haunting. Okay. And so he was like, everybody, watch her to see if she does anything suspicious. And they found that she pulled, at one point, a brick from behind her and was, like, about to throw it on the floor. And then it said they apprehended her, and so I don't know if she was, like, arrested or what, but it said, quote, Here then was the secret. She was immediately apprehended and, under fear of being dealt with by the law, confessed that she was the author of the mischief, and that is from the Alexandria Gazette. So a couple things. Uh Uh-huh. Um, first off, so she was apparently the servant for the Surrencies at the time. It said under threat of being dealt with by the law. Yeah, any confession that comes out from a threat Mm -hmm. or in distress is not a confession you can really trust. It made me think of, I think this was what was going on in Salem, like, you know, if they think you're a witch, if you say you're a witch and repent, you're kind of good, but if you're like, I'm not a witch, then you end up go facing the trial, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So I think it, it just rings of the whole, it makes more sense to confess. Now, okay, if you, like if some if bricks are mysteriously falling on the floor and she just kind of pulls a brick from her, it seems to me that she was probably doing it in this house, mm-hmm. um, in the Bartow house. But it doesn't necessarily mean that she was doing it in the Serency house. Right, and even if she was throwing bricks around, it doesn't explain other things like how you can literally be in the room and not see something fall and suddenly it's on the ground broken you know like unless she has like time powers yeah (laughs) you know and it doesn't seem like this haunting was going on for as long as the surrency one was yeah it could have easily been that she saw what happened at the surrency house and Mm -hmm. tried to duplicate it at the the new place maybe just to cause the same dr- some drama or something absolutely and i i think with the surrency one it seemed like multiple things were kind of happening at once yeah and a pig disappeared how was she supposed to be the one who did the that pig thing is really the big outlier <laughs> here and the other thing to note is that you know these are like she's being accused by like a white man she is black and so i'm just saying like if you're worried about the law you're going to agree to whatever you need to. Because she was in, like, a much more disadvantaged position at that right. point. And at first I was thinking, oh, well, that kind of solves that. But then again, yeah, the pig thing, I'm, and it was just ongoing in the Surrency house. Yeah. And you'd think it would be, like... Was she the same servant that was told to bring the... No, 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 that was a guy. Okay. With the... With the Kerosene? If she was, that would kind of be a different conversation. Right. But, no, there was enough, and I guess maybe, like, perhaps it was a few servants deciding to go on, but I don't know. I I just... It seems like a big risk with not a lot of reward. reward. No. I just, A, couldn't find a motive behind it. Yeah. I mean, she was doing it the second time, but... But it's just, like, I don't know. It, it, It would be one thing if somebody said that they saw the glass fling across the room or something like that. But, like, the time manipulation. The time manipulation. That's what really gets me. Mm-hmm. Because it seems, honestly, like, you know, ley lines. Yes. It seems like maybe the house is just on a point that has, like, either 
timey whiny spacey shit happening or spiritual stuff happening funny you bring that up i okay you know when you reach a certain point in the episode and you're like this episode is finished uh-huh there's a couple things i could put in here that i'm not going to okay i've, I've reached that with this one there is a ghost light in serency Ooh. above the railroad tracks which i was like <gasps> Is is that the mysterious ghost, like the mysterious light on the railroad tracks that's been on our list since the beginning of this podcast? To be honest, there's lots of mysterious lights on lots of southern railroad tracks. So okay. Possibly, but maybe not. Okay. I thought about going into that a little bit further because one of the things people wonder about the ghost light is, is there something under the ground? Is there something about serency? And so these stories are kind of often told in conjunction with each other because it's like, was there something weird here? Oh, one other thing at the clock. I don't know if she could have done the clock. Yeah. That would have had to be in, like, years stuff that the owner of the house was in on. Yeah. Speaking of things under the ground, one of the theories that people had at the time was, like, is there a giant magnet under the house? Okay. But it would not explain the sticks. One thing I was thinking of that would also not explain the sticks and also not explain the pig Mm -hmm. was you said there was a new train track nearby, a new railroad, Mm -hmm. and things falling over. What if the railroad was so close that the vibrations from the train was shaking things in the house and that's what caused them to fall? But that would only explain things that were like on a table falling over that wouldn't explain things, things in a locked drawer yeah yeah so okay the the railroad was new but by new i'm talking about like relatively new so it was like two years old in the area okay this, you would have known beforehand they did at first like when this first started happening he did wonder is this an earthquake okay but their neighbors didn't experience the same things and only the things in the house were shaking the house <laughs> wasn't itself shaking right a couple other things people were wondering about is okay is ap a devil worshiper because of yes, course that is the that. answer okay <laughs> it, it would might it might honestly explain a bit about the pig <laughs> um, and then the other one is maybe maybe the surrencies are psychics and the um. ghosts want help and when the surrencies don't know how to help them the ghosts get angry that is a very specific theory without a bunch of things behind it yeah (laughs) (laughs) and then of course if you're doing your little googles if you're looking at things up Uh you're gonna see like it's gonna be called like the surrency haunting it's gonna be called like the surrency poltergeist Mm -hmm. because i mean you know how I told you, like, there's two parts of a ghost story, what happened in the past and the current effects of it? Right. This is all just about the current effects, baby. Like, there's yeah. no there's no past. It's just, other than the pig, the, take the pig out of the equation. <laughs> Nobody knows what the <laughs> heck is going on with a pig. But without the pig, it's just literally something was there, now it is there. That sounds very poltergeisty. Yes. But poltergeist. what do we think about poltergeists? I don't know about poltergeists. I love poltergeists, personally. You do? Yes. Because, okay, okay so, like peeves you know obviously hogwarts got it poltergeist love love peeves hate peeves love peeves anyway but i i honestly like love the concept of that there is a non-human spirit okay so i don't Mm -hmm. think poltergeists were ever humans they're like a mix between a demon and a ghost right they are a spirit an entity that their entire job is just to fuck shit up. <laughs> How did I know that would be your exact word? <laughs> and I love that. I love that for them. 
so. Well, if if it is a poltergeist, which, okay, if poltergeists exist, this is a poltergeist. Yes. I'm just hung up on, do poltergeists have some? So, a lot of people think that poltergeists are actually young psychic women coming into terms with their power. So usually it's so adoles- Clementine, sixteen-year-old. <laughs> yeah, it's usually adolescent or pre-adolescent mm-hmm. girls. They are like going through puberty or whatever, and so their psychic abilities are waking up, and that is what's causing all of the chaos until they learn how to control it. Yeah, I, I, I recognize that, and I actually I like that theory. I have to admit. I did, like, research back for King's Tavern. I know, I like, that's the one that keeps kind of coming back, but that's because I thought Poltergeist for that one and then did research for on Poltergeist. And one, like, it's like a paranormal investigation thing of, like, Milwaukee? I, I don't know. But they you can find it on my sources for King's Tavern. <laughs> but they were kind of talking about how... They didn't think Poltergeist existed, right? Because it'd been, like, enough of the big cases had eventually been, like, either proven to be or confessed to be just ongoing things from kids who once the story got big enough didn't know how to stop it Mm -hmm. though i do have to say i have heard a lot of poltergeist stories where it would have relied on a i think i even said this in that episode where it would rely on a lot of people who had nothing to gain to lie about something mm-hmm. for it to not be a poltergeist or some sort of otherworldly influence because there's no physical way a human could do something. Yeah. And I do know that a lot of the times when it comes to things like this, people will falsely confess to things just to get people to get off their back, you know? Yeah. That is very true. And also, I feel like just with how, you know... I mean, obviously, AP dominates the story because he's, like, the male head of the family for this Mm -hmm. situation. But I feel like he would have to be in on it. Yeah. And he honestly, other than writing that one letter to the newspaper, he seemed to kind of hate that all this was going on. I would say that, like, the entire family and all of the servants would have to be in on it. Rather than just one girl. Yes. All right. Well, Zoe? That is the Serency Haunting. Well, thank you very much. That was a fun sexual potatoes. A sexual <laughs> potatoes. I, I, that's what I got out of that, is just the sexual potatoes. Okay. But I learned a lot. Thank you. I, I learned a lot, too. Uh, shout out to the Chronicling America Project by the Library of Congress. You're where I get all my old newspapers. Just thank you for making this podcast what it is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Robin. Oh, yeah. If you... What what do I say? If you like today's episode. <laughs> if you like today's episode, please subscribe, rate, review, tell a friendo, join our Patreon at patreon.com slash hauntedhospitality. Yes. It's a $3 tier where you get one episode every month, and it's Beyond Our Normal Stories. And the one that just came out in February is Bly Manor, Haunting of Bly Manor Part 1. The one coming out in March is The Haunting of Bly Manor Part 2. And we give our thoughts. Yes. And we don't agree. And we don't agree. (laughs) And that is, (laughs) it comes out on the 13th because we're spooky. Yes. If you want to see Robin's sources for these notes that she took, you can go to hauntedhospitality.wordpress.com. If you have your own thoughts and opinions about this haunting or poltergeist, or if you have your own spooky story, whether that be true crime or paranormal, supernatural. Don't know why I said paranormal. Yeah. Are you creating a new word? No, that's a word. 
shoot. Okay. Oh, paranormal. <laughs> That's the word. <laughs> Never mind. We're okay. Anyway, email us at hauntedhospitalitypodcast at gmail.com or send it to us in our DMs. We are on the interwebs. You can find us on Twitter at Haunted House. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Haunted Hospitality. We hope to see you there. Stay spooky.